podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Newsround on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined by Nathan Joyce. How are you today, Nathan? Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So Nathan is the founder of the Copa Club and is an expert on South American football. And given what is about to happen, hopefully today, no better man to come on and talk to us about Alexis McAllister. So just from an overview of Alexis to Liverpool, what's your thoughts on this move specifically? I mean, the fact that the rumoured fees around £35 million is an absolute snip in today's market. The, the fact the rumours going around even of 50, 60, 70 million to begin with is a good deal for a World Cup winner. The let, I mean, I know he, he's come from Brighton, who've had an excellent season, but even 70 million would have been a huge, huge coup. Um, but the fact that it's half that price, I'm still trying to make sense of it myself, really. So, yeah, a fantastic buy for Liverpool if and when it goes through. Well, so I was I was looking at his contract situation. So he was due to be out of contract next summer. When he joined Brighton, he signed a four and a half year deal with a club option for another year. They triggered that year a few years back. So he would have been out of contract in 2024. And when he signed his new deal, it was pre-World Cup. And I do think they might have been looking at the situation thinking, right, well, there's no way he's staying. He's leaving next summer regardless. So we can either let him leave in in the summer with 12 months left on his deal and maybe we get 25 million. Because at that point, his profile hadn't really taken off the way it did with the World Cup and then post-World Cup. So I'm guessing what happened was they just signed him to an extension and said, look, we want to get a bit more money out of you when we sell you, but we're not going to try and hold any club to ransom. We'll do an agreeable fee that's you know fair for everybody. They get a bit more money out of it, and obviously Liverpool buying him get a bargain in truth. Because like you said, I mean, this is a World Cup winner. This is a guy who's not just been part of a squad or part of a team that won the World Cup, but he was one of the best players in that World Cup winning team. Yeah, I think I went back through the, the World Cup final itself yesterday and his role was a little bit underrated when you actually look at what he did in that final. I think because of how crazy that final was and obviously the focus being on Messi. But if you actually look at McAllister's role in that World Cup, like nothing seemed to phase him. So if you go back to um, talking about Brian's deal there and they're no mugs. They know exactly what they're doing in the transfer market. Their, their scouting system is fantastic. And they're, they're going to be beside to 
losing top quality players. It's just the nature of the game. So the fact that they've got 35 million for this, they'll be pretty happy with it. But um, yeah, nowhere near as happy as Liverpool will be. Exactly. And I would imagine the wages won't be colossal either. I wouldn't imagine he was on huge money at Brighton. They're not a club that operates that way. So, you know, he might be coming in on somewhere in the region of 100 to 120,000 a week, which is obviously massive money to any normal person. But in, in the footballing sphere, it's about what Liverpool were playing or were paying the likes of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita. So, it's not extending the wage budget at all. What I yeah. want to do... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, all, all I was going to say on that, the fact that for the last two or three days, the transfer talk has been all about the fee and, and not his wages is just, again, an indicator that, as particularly the fans, unless he's not doing well, no one actually brings up what he's earning. So, um, yeah, that rumoured figure, which you've just projected there, of around 100,000 is probably about right. And, um, yeah, good for all parties, really. Yeah, exactly. Because especially like, even for himself, it's it's still, it's life-changing money. And it's it's his first contract with Liverpool. And if all goes well, it'll be the first of maybe three or four contracts he signed with Liverpool over the course of his career. Because people seem to forget, while he is a well-established player, he's got three and a half years in the Premier League under his belt. He played in Argentina for a significant amount of time before that. He's younger than Trent Alexander-Arnold, who we view as a young player. So he, his best years are all still ahead of him, hopefully. And that, to me, if you've got him and Trent, plus, say, Ibu Kanate, Darwin Nunes, and Luis Diaz as, as pillars of the next Liverpool team, I think that's a very good place for them to be in. Yeah, 100%. And look, we'll get into it more as we as the podcast goes along, but... Alexis McAllister, he can play in a 4-5-1 formation, as we've predominantly seen for Brighton behind the striker, but he can adapt his play and fit in a 4-3-3, which he did during the World Cup for Argentina, which is predominantly what Liverpool will play with. So the fact that he's so diverse in midfield and what he can bring to the team means he's probably going to stick around for a very, very long time and hopefully he has a good career. But um, yeah, as, as we keep pointing out, 35 million for Alexis McAllister in this market... Um, like I said, an established Premier League player is just all round great business. Yeah, without question, without question, it is, and it's testament, I suppose, to how Liverpool have approached this. They've put in a lot of groundwork on this deal. You go back to when Liverpool lost at home to Real Madrid in the Champions League, which was in February. His father was at that game as a guest of the club, so they've been working on this deal since then. And his dad, Carlos, obviously plays a big part in in helping to guide his career, which we see now more and more with players where, you know, fathers, especially fathers who played, are helping to guide their son's career. And Liverpool have definitely gone after at least one other player for this coming window, which, uh, sorry, who is also guided by their father, who's an ex-player. But I want to go back with Alexis to kind of his... His beginnings. Um, he comes through at Argentinos Junior. He is one of three footballing brothers. Francis and Kevin are his siblings, uh, both older than him. Kevin is a right back. Francis plays in midfield. They had sort of 
I don't want to say established themselves, but they'd made their names a little bit um, before he sort of popped onto the scene. What was the feeling around him back in those early days? Because we're going back seven full years now, which is fairly remarkable for someone that's only 24. Yeah, I mean, Alexis McAllister's story is is rather interesting, to be honest with you. I mean, a lot of players come through football in families, but as you've alluded to, his two brothers came up through the youth system with him at Argentinos Juniors. Uh, as you pointed out, his dad was a former player. He played for Argentina alongside Diego Maradona, and his dad eventually moved on to become a scout as well. So, um, yeah, he's very much come from a footballing family, and he worked his way up through the youth team. 2016 is when he got his opportunity, and, I mean, you only have to go through the footage on which you can easily find on YouTube as well to sort of back up what I'm saying. But he started out 17, 18 years age of sorry, 17 years of age in the middle of the field in the Primera National at the time. So he started out a league below and he he stood out from the very first minute. If you look at what he brought what he brought to the table. He had an interview with in the Guardian a couple of years ago when he first like burst onto the scene with Brighton about how he was worried about coming to England and physicality of the league but he he didn't hold back from the first minute and he was very much like a, a dog with a bone in the middle of that midfield he was winning the ball all over the pitch and looking to play his teammates and very much like looking to make that impression and the fact that he was playing the primary national 17 18 like that was probably beneath him at the time but it was almost like the perfect platform. Like he, they got promoted as champions in his first season and he was very much at the heart of that. So he had 23 appearances, only offered three goals. His role was a lot more defensive then. I feel when he was 17, 18, he was still very much learning his trade, um, still trying to figure out exactly where his sort of strengths lied. And he has obviously moved into a more progressive p- uh, position as he's, as he's moved on. And obviously, as we've seen with Brian in Argentina, but... Yeah, he was very much a, a, a sort of a, a bit hard to call him a scrappy midfielder, but he, w- he was there to sort of earn his stripes and, and prove that he could cope with the physicality at a young age. And that really did stand out. But away from that side of his game, he was a regular set piece taker for the team as soon as he came into the 11. And obviously we've seen that progress and the free kicks and he scored for Brighton and the, the corners and everything else he takes now in the Premier League and obviously that's sort of stood him in good stead really but he wasn't he wasn't the best set piece taker there but clearly he backed himself and uh, some of the managers saw something there and obviously that's been nurtured and worked on so it's very much in in a nutshell really like it, it was clear to see there like he, he stood out um, at such a young age and I feel that the fact that he started in the second tier really helped his progression and, and filled him with confidence really and he was there with his brothers at the same time right so only a year after um, his debut like him and his brothers were all playing at the same time which uh, it's got to fill you with so much confidence and having that support around you in that environment it just screamed the right environment for him to to really progress and kick on. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned there how he played sort of that more defensive role uh, to begin with. And I think that has obviously stood him in good stead because when you watch him now, he's he's clearly very defensively switched on. He's very clever. He knows how to block off passing lanes. He knows what positions to take up. He reads the game really well. And he's not afraid to put his foot in. Like, 
he's not he's not Javier Mascherano, but he's not afraid to get into the dirty work when it needs to be done. And yeah. as you said, that first season getting promoted from a lower league, like that is the type of stuff that battle hardens you, isn't it? Like, especially in in the Premier National where you can watch that that level even now and you'll just see sometimes there's older gnarly players in that league who maybe never got their shot at the top level who set themselves out to just kick young fellas up in the air we see it in the championship as well in England where there's these old gnarly old pros that have kind of had these 10 and 15 year careers through the lower leagues topped out as a championship player and almost begrudge the fact that there's some of these younger lads that might go on and play in the Premier League. So they just volley them into the stands when they get a chance. But he never shirked any of that. And it's obviously had a good a good building platform for him as he moved forward with his career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like if you watch him today, he, he's, he's probably calmed down a lot more from where he was. But I feel like he's just moulded um, with obviously the the coaching staff of Brian have, have I've worked on that because there's always been that side of that game. And he, like you said, now he still operates defensively perfectly well and Liverpool will need to rely on that at times. Um, but yeah, he was, it's just from the off. He's, he's 17 year old lad and he's like I said, not shirking anything and, and flying into tackles, but he's not, if you, if you watch the style of play back when he was 17, 18, he's not there looking to make a, a huge impression by knocking the ball out of play. He's, he's making the opponent, sort of recognise, look, he knows he's there, but he's winning the ball and keeping it at the same time and then looking to spread the play or bring the ball forward, which is a quality which just stands out at that level. And obviously it, that it's a huge reason as to why he's progressed. So, yeah, he wasn't just putting in the tackles for the sake of it. They had a purpose and it was to win the ball back, but it was also to to let people know, like, look, I'm here, I'm looking to progress. And evidently he's put his way up to Liverpool in a World Cup. So, um, it was just so obvious to see at such a young age that he was better than the Primera. Um, little did he know that he'd probably be winning the World Cup a few years later. But um, yeah, it was a great stepping stone for him rather than being thrown into the Primera from the beginning. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, and like as well as that, coming through a, a smaller academy, probably having you know more time with coaches as well, there wouldn't have been the, the drastic number of kids that might be at, say, River Plate or something where you're kind of starved of coaching and of minutes. Um, at Argentinos Junior, he was able to get a, a lot more one-to-one coaching and a lot more development. So he stays there then the following season and adapts quite well to the Premier Division. And then his name really starts to grow and we start seeing him sort of 
I would say between February and March of 2018, he starts to get linked with clubs in Europe. And that's building and building through the summer then as well, where there's a lot of European clubs, a number of Italian clubs and Portuguese clubs starting to take notice of him. He stays until January of 2019, which is when Brighton come in and buy him for around seven million. Was that seen as a surprise that it was Brighton that got his signature? Because I do remember him being linked with a number of Italian clubs. Bologna were, were very closely linked. I think Sassuolo were closely linked. Atalanta were closely linked. It, it seemed like a bit of a surprise when he chose England as his next destination. Yeah, it, it was a little bit of a surprise, but since he's been interviewed about this situation and he, as, as a kid, he, he one of his main idols, he's always come out and said was Carlos Tevez, who he actually ended up playing with when he went on loan to Boca. Um, and I think there was that contact there. So he scored his first top flight goal in 2018 against Boca, the club, obviously, who he supported as a kid and who he later played for. And I, and I feel like he, there was that huge respect for the club there. And obviously, legends, his idols, Tevez, it had a huge sort of influence there in terms of, of, of where he would be. Obviously, he spoke to, to people like him and about where he could progress the most. And obviously, look, Brighton did have a... Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, but with Brighton's Premier League ambitions and the plan they've put in place and which they're now implementing very well is something he bought into and he probably made the right decision at the time for him as to where it's it's led him today. But I think the fact that he spoke to people um, who had played in the Premier League um, and told them about English football um, is something he was very much brought up watching as well. So maybe all of that came together. Maybe they were all factors. Obviously, I don't know the complete ins and outs of it, but I'm, I'm sure if your idol is speaking to you about um, moving over to England, it probably make things a little bit more of a no-brainer. Yeah, that's very fair. That's very fair. And obviously there has, has been sort of a growing number of South American players coming to, to England in recent years, be it directly or via you know a stop on the continent. But Brighton managed his development very, very well. And there's no rush to, you know, we've spent this money, let's get him over and get him in the team. He spends the remainder of that season on loan with Argentinos Juniors. And then he gets probably his dream move, which is the loan to Boca. And he spends half a season there and he's part of a team that wins a a league title. And... I, I do think, even though it's only, I think, 20-odd games he played for them, I do think just playing at that level for that club with that level of expectation, because it's not like there are just certain clubs where there's a whole different level of pressure. And I think for him, that sort of five, six months he spent with Boca probably helped him develop in terms of being used to playing under pressure, playing with the expectation that you go out and win every game, because he hadn't had that before at Argentinos Juniors. At Boca, you have to win every game. And he he seemed to adapt that very, very well. Yeah, like he, he came out and, and said this in an interview. He said that when Boca win, it's great, but when Boca lose, it's probably one of the worst places to be. But 
Um, yeah, if we just rewind that a little bit, it, it's funny how things worked out. I mean, the fact that he went back to Argentinos Juniors because the work permit he was actually turned down originally. Um, so that's why he ended up going back and he spent another six months there. So that was helping his development. Whether or not Brighton would have loaned him out, similar to maybe the Matoma deal when they brought him over from Kawasaki and loaned him out to Belgium. I don't know if that was part of the master plan, but um, yeah, the work permit was rejected. So back he went to Argentina to continue his progression, which by my by my no means was an issue. And then Boca, obviously the Argentina season runs differently. It's January to uh, November. So Boca came calling um, in July and wanted to bring him in on like a six months to a year loan. And obviously being a being brought up in Buenos Aires and being a Boca fan, there was no way he was turning that down. He said he had to go with his heart. And yeah, he only played 13 appearances there, but he scored on his debut in the Libertadores against Atletico Perinense. He got to play with his icon, Carlos Tevez. And it was during this period, more people, obviously the Argentinian national team are more likely to look at Boca Juniors than teams like Argentinos Juniors. And mm. the fact that in a, such a short period of time, he had that effect where Argentina looked up and in the following August is when he got his first senior call up for the national team. So, yeah, it's a, I don't know if he's a believer in fate and how things worked out, but it couldn't have gone more perfect for him if that work permit was accepted. Would he have sat on the bench for a bit at Brighton? Would this opportunity with Boca ever come about? I don't know, but um, it will put him on the right trajectory and the right path for, for where he is today. And yeah, the fact that he got to go and play at the Bombonera was uh, probably a dream come true for him. Yeah, so he plays He plays 13 league games and, and obviously helps to win the league. He plays, like you said, in the Libertadores, which is just a, a phenomenal competition. Uh, for me, it's the best club competition going. I'd rather watch it than the Champions League. I just think there's more there's more passion, there's more there's more hunger in those games than the sort of cashless Champions League, even if the quality is not as good. I think there's, they're just more enjoyable to watch. But he has that loan spell. Like you said, he makes his Argentina debut. And then he comes to Brighton, and it's it's a slower process. He plays nine games between then and the end of the season, doesn't make his debut for about a month and a half or so after he lands. And they're being very careful with him. He's he's getting a sub-appearance here, a sub-appearance there. He's getting the odd start. Then in 2021, it's again, it's a slow process. It's bringing him along. It's developing him. It's, you know, playing him in a multitude of positions to continue with that development, continue to see what he can bring and what they can add to him. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. 
So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. 2021-22 is the season where he really settles into English football and really starts to show what he's capable of. And he's in the team at this point. There's just no way he's coming back out of it. He's established himself as one of their best players. He has a really good season. And having been left out of the national team for two plus years, he earns a a call back to the squad, uh, plays in the Cup of Champions thing against, against Italy. And then this season that's just finished, he was outstanding for Brighton. He really was. He settled into playing in the double pivot with Caicedo or playing in the more advanced role ahead. Whatever role was asked of him, he was able to give his best. And we started to see a lot more of him sort of controlling how Brighton play once De Zerbi arrived at the club and De Zerbi made him a sort of a focal point of his system. Goes to the World Cup, starts the World Cup on the bench. And as I said, like, when Brighton gave him that new contract pre-World Cup, Nobody expected him to have the impact he did because he wasn't to be in their starting 11. But once he came into the starting 11, he and Enzo, that was really the catalyst for Argentina to go from, we've just lost to Saudi Arabia, this is mortifying, to, oh, now this makes a whole lot of sense, to these could actually win the competition to being world champions. Like those, that moment where Scaloni brings Enzo and Alexis into the team and has them as very, very important pieces supporting Messi, that is really what changed the World Cup for Argentina. Yeah, 100%. He, like he was, he's, the way to describe him when he came into that um, Argentina side was he, he's just very level headed, right? He breaks up play in between the lines and he was brought in there for his calmness really like all hell broke loose in the Saudi Arabia game in that mental five ten minutes in the second half right and then and they were lacking a sort of the way to describe him is probably a bit more of a, of a quiet leader in the middle he, he, he goes about his job very well but and, unless you're probably watching him in a team like Argentina because your focus is obviously elsewhere he just came in and went about his business and he not only broke up the play, but he drove the ball forward and looked to play in like Messi, Di Maria on the wings. And then his job, as we've seen for Brighton so many times a season, starting the build-up and finishing it. So, yes, you alluded to at the start of um, that last question and the, and the last build-up here of when he first came back to Brighton, he, he struggled to sort of get into their side, which sort of cost him his place in the national team. But he came over and like you said, it took a month for his, his, his debut to sort of kick in Wait, I think he took 10 minutes against Wolves. But it's as, the, as the pandemic hit, right? So he's gone from playing at La Bombonera to, to no fans at all and trying to adjust to a new country. So I think people always forget that when South American players come over. Like it's a huge adjustment period mm. for them. Um, but like you said, like this season, he's very much coming to his own. And whether it's in behind that striker at 4-5-1 or more of a, a defensive role for the national team. He's so good at just picking the ball up, playing it, but not just holding it because he knows what he's like. He's a willing runner. He knows how to be quick in attack and and starting and finishing attacks is what we've seen time and time again for Brighton. So 
he's really developed from that defensive-minded midfielder back when he was 17 to where he is today and how he's transitioned. It's credit to himself, really, because he came over to the UK uh, in a difficult, difficult uh, period of time. So, yeah, fully deserved back in the team. And like you said, after that Saudi Arabia game, that was his chance and, and he took it. He did. And he went from strength to strength. And you mentioned his calmness and that level-headed approach. And the game that stands out to me is the Australia game. Mm. where when he's on the pitch, Argentina are basically in complete control. He goes off on 80. Australia have just scored a fluke. He goes off, and the game descends into absolute chaos. And Argentina try and find new and exciting ways to throw this away. But that hadn't been the case against Mexico and Poland. When he was on the pitch, everything was very calm, very assured. Decisions were made the right way. And I compared him on an earlier pod I did today to sort of Ilke Gundogan and Thomas Muller in that he's one of those players that you watch him play and he's doing other people's thinking for them. He's making decisions on their behalf, be it with the pass that he plays, with the space he takes up. He just seems to have that ability to always make the right decision and always be in the right place which doesn't always get noticed. Like, with man, as you said there, I think you're right in drawing comparisons to Gundogan. And it's only the fact that his contract's running out, people are now turning around and calling him the city legend, which he rightly deserves. But he hasn't always had that praise, right? And it's similar links with McAllister. And, yeah, I, I completely forgot about the Australia game until you brought it up. It was the reminiscent of that 10, 15 minutes in the first half against Saudi Arabia, right, where... Argentina did not look like they were going to win a World Cup and this was the World Cup they had to win for Messi, right? And it, all the script was there, but it wasn't going to plan. But the fact that obviously he played such a vital role in the World Cup final, his assist for Di Maria's goal as well, it was just written for him and like he really took that opportunity. Um, and the fact that if you were to ever say that a Brighton player was to come in and pretty much help a team like Argentina win the World Cup, it's mad, but... The fact that Alexis McAllister has gone and done that mm. is a, a great testament to himself, especially from, from where he's come from. Yeah, and I think a real mark of players for me is how they perform in, in the biggest games. And he was outstanding in the World Cup final. He was also brilliant in the semi-final against Croatia. And he was vital to what Argentina did in in controlling and cutting apart that Croatian team, which has obviously had this great run at World Cups of, of, you know, getting to the semi-finals, But he was, he was just fantastic in both games. And I, I still to this day don't quite understand why he was taken off four minutes before a penalty shootout because <laughs> I know they were winning 3-2 at the time. And I'm guessing they were, the, the plan was let's just hold this out, hold this out. But if there's even the slightest chance of a penalty shootout, you want him on the pitch because he's, as he's shown for Brighton this year, he is the man for the penalty shootout or, the, or, or the, the penalty under pressure. We saw it against United. The game was basically over. Um, the final whistle was about to be blown. Brighton get the penalty and he steps up. All the pressure's on him. All eyes are on him and he just puts it in the top corner as if it's nothing. And that speaks to what you mentioned earlier about just that that calmness, that level-headed nature Nothing seems to rattle him. 
that's what really stands out with me. He, he just he just seems like he's very very calm with everything going on around him. He just he just doesn't change his sort of mental level. He just continues to do his thing, and he eventually calms everything around him. Yeah, which is an incredible asset to have, right? We spoke about, he he grew into that World Cup, but he didn't play bad at all. But he just got stronger in his in his belief that he deserved his place there. He's, he's quite a shy person off the off the field. And, um, but that definitely doesn't show on the pitch. So yeah, he came, like he said, he came into the, the, the team after that 2-1 loss to Saudi Arabia. And earned his place, the decisions to take him off. Look, they they still went on to win the World Cup. But um, yeah, I completely agree with you there. They were a little bit baffling. And I think that especially the the Australia game where they somehow nearly threw a two-goal lead um, against arguably one of the poorest teams to to get to the knockout stage just goes to show how vital he was to that team. And yeah, from from 12 yards, he's lethal for, for, for any team. But look, playing at the Bombonera, even though he was only there for 13 games, he's been a Boca fan. He knows how mm. hostile that environment is and, and having to deliver on on that pitch is is huge. So look, maybe he took that from his time there and brought it into his game. But yeah, to be that calm, it's a huge asset to have at any level. So um, I'm, I'm sure Brighton will definitely miss that next season. Yeah, and I mean... Not just at Barca, but I think as well when you play for the Argentine national team, there is a an added pressure to that, especially when you're playing with Messi. And the the view has has been that the reason Messi hadn't won a World Cup is because his teammates had let him down. Yeah. And whether that was true of all of them or some of them or any of them is up for debate. But there is that added pressure of well, you're not just playing for the national team you have to make sure that, that Messi gets the best chance possible here. And and he was one of those key factors. Like when Messi would pick the ball up, one of the guys he was looking for was Alexis McAllister. And if Messi is trusting you in the biggest games, in the biggest moments, if you're one of the first guys he's looking for, you're doing your job really well. You're doing, you're doing your job well, but you also probably feel 10 foot tall as well if Messi is trusting you. Uh, there was, um, when he was playing for the under-20s um, uh, national team, he was number 10 there. And I think there was a, an interview, again, quoting on it already, but the interview with the Guardian said about maybe wearing a number 10 shirt um, when you progress to the team. And he was really shy about it, but he was like, there's, there's absolutely no way. There's too much respect there for Lionel Messi, as, as you would expect. But... Um, the fact that he could deliver on stage for him, he's probably more grateful for Messi winning it than himself, which again is a in the indication of his personality and willingness to be unselfish on the pitch. But yeah, if Messi's looking to roll off the ball to you to get the attack starting, um, fair play. Um, it's a it's a huge testament, and like I said, you'd feel ten foot tall and only grow into the game more. Exactly. Now I just want to hit on his personality there because you, you've mentioned that. And everybody you speak to um, who's kind of been around him at Brighton said that he's quite introverted, but he is a a very funny guy. He's very, very kind and caring and will always take time out to sign an autograph, take a picture. And there's that video that goes around of when he arrived back 
at Brighton's training ground, having won the World Cup, and all of his teammates are standing around. Like, there's real joy from them for him. Those players are so happy for him, which speaks to how popular he is and how highly they hold him. Because some of them are at the World Cup with their own teams. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And yet they were still thrilled for this guy to have gone to the World Cup and fulfilled the dream of every kid that's ever kicked a ball, which is to win the World Cup for your country. So I I do think his personality is probably something Liverpool have looked at as well. Would would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. The first name which comes to my head is N'Golo Kante with Chelsea, right? He, a shy player, um, a shy person, but on the pitch, he's he's a different animal. And I feel like a lot of fans... Um, really like humble people and down-to-earth players playing for them and McAllister ticks that box and the fact that he was a little bit shy when he came back after winning a World Cup I can assure you now that I definitely wouldn't be um, so it's sort of a similar trait to N'Golo Kante really who's mm. who's, uh, who's been adored at Chelsea for all these years as well so um, yeah very similar Yeah so this deal hopefully will get announced today And it sounds like it's going to be a five-year contract. Just to project out, how do you think the next five years, like what do you see as his ceiling? Could he be to Liverpool what Ilkay Gundogan has been to Manchester City? Oh, that's a... I know it's a big ask. That's a a big big ask ask and a high bar. Yeah, because this might get clipped up and put somewhere in a few years' time if I say something wrong. But um, look, there's definitely another level to his game and he recognises that a team like Liverpool, like even without Champions League football, it was the right move for his career. He's, he's bought into the project, right? So he's got a year to establish himself before playing in Champions League football again. So Liverpool will take him to another level. There's no doubt about that. And he will have more responsibilities um, and there'll be a lot more pressure on him. But as we spoke about for the last five, ten minutes, he thrives under pressure. So the fact that he can thrive under pressure means that going to Anfield as a player and having that back in rather than against him is something he will embrace. So, yeah, Look, I'm not going to say he's going to win another World Cup or score 20, 30 goals every season, but he definitely will progress uh, and it'll be exciting to see him in a, in a Liverpool shirt. That's brilliant, Nathan. Thank you so much for your time. 
Thank before you, we go, before yeah. we go, just want to say you're a Nottingham Forest fan. So I am, yes, yes. I'm number assuming. one, con- congrats on the the survival. Great to have Forest back in the Premier League. <laughs> um, I've long been a, a, a desiring having Forest back, but don't think for one second we're not coming for those three points that you cost us last season. Because that <laughs> defeat at the city ground remains a stain on, on what was a bad season for us, but that was a particularly bad day. So we're coming for those three points next season, but great to have you back. Where can people find you and where can people find your work? Yeah, so I've recently gone 100% freelance, dedicating uh, all my work to South American football. Uh, I've just launched my own business, The Copper Club, uh, and a podcast is coming out very soon. So keep an eye on there. And yeah, you can find me on my Twitter handle, which is at NathanJoys1. Thank you very much. And we will hopefully have you on again, should there be another South American that makes their way to Anfield. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.